Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast equivalent of a dozen wild African dogs using their stamina to wear down a juvenile water buffalo. I am Jared Stormer of maizeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of maizeandbrew.com. Andy, you surface-dwelling land angel. How you been these past few weeks, brother? I've been good, man. And in that analogy, is Josh Gaddis the juvenile water buffalo? Let's hope so. I'll be rooting actively <laughs> against Miami this year. Um, I don't know anything about the inside scoop, but uh, maybe stay away from recruits' moms, Josh. You know, just, you know, every, whatever you think you want to do, just do the opposite. Like, let's try that. Try being a better person for once. God, what a, what a, oh my, what an addition by subtraction. I was thrilled about this after everything came out. Weird story. And, uh, yeah, no spoilers here. This is how we feel about the Josh Gaddis situation. Um, yeah, he's a bit of a, a bit of a scumbag after it's all said and done and good riddance. We'll be moving on without you and we'll be moving forward with Jim Harbaugh, who just signed a five-year contract extension through 2026. Good. <laughs> I was patiently awaiting this the, for several days. Now everyone knew it was coming after the Vikings talks ended. He ended them, whatever happened there, you knew the extension was coming. Terms are still yet to be released, but we can safely say he got a bag with a big buyout. 
I'm going to guess based on nothing whatsoever that it's around eight and a half million. Yeah, the dude deserved a bag five more years. So if it does come up that he wants to try the the waters of the Super Bowl again, he can dip his toes back in. This is great. We keep the guy that wants to be there, the dude that really built this team up and the dude that uh, wanted to claim success for a. Uh, you know, a middling offense last year. Let's be honest. It was the defense that did it for us last year. You had nothing to do with it, Josh, other than scaring off Xavier Worthy. Nothing at all. We're not going to, you don't get any credit for the running back success, the passing game, none of it. That is Sharon Moore and Matt Weiss and Jim Harbaugh. Mike Hart. So Mike Hart, another great name to throw in there. Not you. So yeah, man, that was a, a very, very big fall from grace because the last time you and I spoke, it was, is Josh Gaddis auditioning to be the coach in waiting this season? The answer is no, <laughs> he's not. He's going <laughs> to go be an OC on a lateral move at a middle tier school in the ACC. This is obviously a big pivot for us based on our opinions of Josh Gaddis, but it was just reading some of the tweets and the behind the scenes stuff you mentioned off air. John Jansen had talked about the leadership of Josh Gaddis and had kind of brought that into question. And then you start to hear just the bizarre stuff about fraternization with recruits moms. And it's like, all right, we need to distance ourselves from this. Go down to Miami where sin breeds like cockroaches and and have at it, sir. But uh, I think we maybe have some addition by subtraction there. And Harbaugh's locked up and we can put a uh, we can put a bow on this bizarre coaching saga that we had this offseason. Yeah, in summation, welcome back, Jim, and uh, good riddance, Josh. You kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, how quickly uh, things can turn here. Uh, we, we, <laughs> we are fickle in our fandom. Well, you know, if you wrong us. Hey, you piss all over the maize and blue. Don't expect us not to come after you. That Hell <laughs> hath no fury like a pair of podcasters scorned. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly so he scorned us you know made us backtrack all of our discussions from previous weeks so yeah screw, screw up all right let's talk basketball for a minute there's a lot to get through here uh you know surprisingly for for what is technically our off season but michigan basketball another weird week you know just weirdness at, with all the coaching stuff going on we also had without a doubt the highest of highs and lowest of lows with Michigan basketball since we last spoke. Uh, got blown out by Michigan State. That was the last one we were able to talk about. But then come back a few games later and have the best win of the season versus then number three Purdue in a dominant performance. Michigan all of a sudden is vaulted back up into the bracket uh, projections. They're, you know, they're a danger for the tournament. And then the wheels fall off again versus Ohio State. So what have you seen from Michigan basketball since we last spoke two weeks ago? A little resilience, a little resilience to who they are, but th there's never going to be a great team because they can't carry that resilience and effort against the middling teams like Penn State or Nebraska. Like you struggle through these games and get to the finish line, but then you rise up for the big ones like Purdue or Illinois and you're shorthanded or even Ohio State this past weekend. They get up for those and they really give a good effort. So you've seen the ceiling now. This team can compete with anybody. They can be that way at least for a half. It's not always guaranteed for both halves. So we've seen that. We've seen the lows. And as far as your Ohio State loss is concerned, that's a schedule loss. Four games in seven days is a brutal, hellacious stretch there. EJ Liddell went nuclear. Fresh, I still like our chances in that one. I think it's a coin flip. So it was nice to see the ceiling of this team and finally get that quality win they've been searching for. 
Uh, as per usual, you were the optimist here, and I'm going to try and bring us back down to earth after that one. The Purdue win was great. There was a sense that this team was turning the corner, and there was a lot to like. Uh, let's let's start with the good, as we should, and that's uh, against Purdue. Houston, Brooks, and Dickinson go 12 of 16 from three. You've got defensive energy. They're running that 2-3 zone against Ivy, so that uh, basically no matter what, it's always Diabate or Dickinson, or at the worst-case scenario, Johns waiting for him there in the paint, so he can't just use his athleticism. You're seeing a team that's switching, that's making up for a lot of the mistakes they had made when they lost to Purdue earlier this season and got blown out. And it was very impressive. And in that game, it's easy to get behind that. But the three-point percentage was insane in that one. And then against Ohio State, I, I, I'll, I'll allow the schedule loss. Like you said there, there was a lack of rhythm. The defense played pretty well, all things considered. Shots were mostly contested uh, for Ohio State. But they weren't moving that well. So that's fine if you want to say that's a schedule loss. But to me, it seems like, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, this is just a theory that I'm putting out there. Is this the most simple Michigan basketball team ever to figure out in that when they make three point shots, they're a danger, they're a threat to anyone. And when they don't, they're a maybe below average team. I think it really is as simple as that. Like the shots are going down, not at the 12 of 16 clip, because that's just absurd for those three guys. But if if they're shooting... 40% 40% or higher Michigan's there's like most teams is really difficult to beat because of our inside post presence and what else the team can do outside of shooting the three ball. But if we're shooting under 30% as a team, we're just going to struggle in all of these games. But I think one of the biggest things for them is just getting the volume up, get those volumes of shots up, getting the good shots because against Purdue, like, yes, they were hot, but they were also getting a lot of good looks. And for once they were knocking them down. Yeah, I agree with both points. And to back that up, so three-point percentage in our three biggest wins versus our three worst losses. And you can argue about which ones are the biggest wins or biggest losses. These are the ones that I had. Um, Versus Buffalo, to start the season, we went 6 of 15. That's 40%. Versus Maryland, uh, a little bit later in the season, 8 of 20 for 40%. And then most recently against Purdue was 12 of 21 for 57%. Um, where, as we said, Brooks, Dickinson, and Houston just went nuclear, especially Brooks, uh, the least sustainable performance you're going to get. And then our worst three losses versus Michigan State, three of 19, 16%, disgusting. Illinois, one for 10, 10%, which speaks to your comment about volume there. And then most recently against Ohio State, which maybe you could remove if we're calling that a schedule loss, but they were four of 17 for 23% from that. So, Like you want to break down the basketball analysis part of this, but I'm trying to figure out like what else is it about this team other than three point percentage consistency that's going to set them apart because they're a middling defensive team. They don't have elite guard play and they have Hunter Dickinson, who's basically the focal point of their offense. And you need three point shooters around that. So that's where I fail to see where this team can find an an extra gear unless it's just we're hitting shots or we're not. It's it's a tough team to figure out in that regard because they seem to be figuring out certain things like Devontae Jones getting better, not fouling 40 feet from the basket, understanding his game and his role. And that's all those points you made are really good. I would throw the Illinois game out of there because the team was so shorthanded. Because you and I might have started in that one. The team was so desperate for players. But no, that's great. And it's like we, we have seen the floor. I think I'm optimistic now just because we've seen the ceiling. 
like for the most of the year, it's been like I've all I've seen is the bad. Like the Michigan State game was just the second half was abysmal and hard to watch. The Ohio State game, it was tough, but it was a lot of fatigue with those shots. We really struggled in uh, a defense that switched a lot. And that's all they were doing in the second half. And that just seemed like players were tired. Like Caleb Houston should be able to take certain big guys to the rim, like at will, and wasn't doing that. The one thing I can't get over with this team, which I think will hinder them the most, is Hunter Dickinson's inconsistency inside with some of the short shots. Like he'll put up a very quiet, like 21 and 12, which is good. Jared, he should be having like 28 and seven, like automatically. He's missing so many bunny shots and his right hand hasn't developed. And if that's not going down, then that limits the three point percentages as well, because they're not going to get the quality looks because they're stopping him inside so they can space out and stop the shooters. I'll take that one step further. Not only do I agree with you in that point, I think that if he's not getting those kind of numbers, like Michigan's ceiling is much, much lower. And they're really just a middling team because they don't have anything else that they can lean on unless it's Dickinson just owning everybody. And I mean, it was it was good to see against Purdue going up against that Goliath man that they got from somewhere in Siberia, I'm assuming, in, in Edie there. Um, it was good to see him have a good game against uh, another big like that. But what happens and what what do you think this team should be when Dickinson isn't getting his shot? What are they the second best at? What is their identity outside of that? Is it defense? Is it, you know, is it perimeter defense where they've been okay at times and they certainly have length? It's not guard play. I mean, Devontae Jones and, and Eli Brooks is not scaring anyone. Um, it's not necessarily elite wing play. So what should be the second thing this team relies on when Dickinson isn't having that monster night? It's, it's got to be the penetrate and kick. It's got to be these guys getting in there and somebody else being the creator or just having the diversity of several creators on the floor. And I think another reason I came away from this week so encouraged is we saw Hunter Dickinson not have that performance against Ohio State, especially in the first half. I believe he only had two points at halftime and Michigan only trailed by three. So that was a very encouraging sign that maybe they are starting to put a few other pieces together around it, like getting the Kobe Bufkin minutes, getting the Frankie Collins minutes. I really think it's got to be that penetrate and kick because, like you said, the guard play on this team, especially the starters, are not very athletic, but the reserves are. And they can do some things that throw you know a wrench or two here to open things up. Tremendous point there, and I don't want to be the typical fan that's like, play the guys that aren't currently being played. That's the secret to this. <laughs> that's lazy analysis, and that's not the case. Like, Devontae Jones has been awesome. Uh, Eli Brooks does things for your team that really don't always show up on the stat sheet. They're, you want that guy come tournament time. Um, but here's one for you. How do you feel about, like you say, using the, um, the, the getting the ball on the inside and then kicking it out? but doing that with your wings. Cause I think you've got something there with Houston and Terry two sticks as potential attacking wings that can both shoot in the 35% range from three point percentage. Houston's numbers have been climbing in the second half of the season. Terry two sticks has been pretty steady. So those guys can both slash a little bit and attack. So you can do that with some inside out game with Dickinson. And then you have one of the athletic guards out there, maybe with Brooks, maybe it's uh, Frankie Collins. You and I both love. Maybe it's Collins, yes. Brooks, Terry, two sticks, Houston, and then Dickinson in there and, and some looks like that and mixing it up. So where you have some slashing, some shooting, some attacking, but also have that thread of Dickinson down low. 
I love that. And it honestly sounds like an NBA type strategy of letting Caleb Houston be the creator. Cause I think he can do it. I think he's come a long way this year and will continue to do so. And maybe furthermore next year. And that's a great point about creation as well, because the last couple games, like, do they practice entry passes? Because sometimes they just throw it to him and just like hope Hunter Dickinson will catch it at a, there's no angle. There's nothing there. So it's like, I don't know if they're uncomfortable with some of it, but I'll tell you one way to negate that. And just like, kind of expedite the whole offensive process. Why don't we press all, most of the game after made baskets like Louisville used to it or Rick Patino? because that press with Jace Howard or the athleticism they can put out there, that caused some problems. I love that. And I definitely want to talk about the Jace Howard of it, um, particularly because Brandon John's minutes are an absolute nightmare to watch. Um, I'm having cardiac events throughout the entire time because you just don't know what you're going to get from him. I mean, some nights he's dunking the ball. He's using his body to like just push dudes out of the paint. Um, he shows some range from time to time. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's what a power forward is supposed to look like. And then other nights, he's just not engaged defensively. You're not seeing anything offensively. He fouls too much. It's just and his minutes are not productive. And you and I really like what Jace Howard brings as far as just an energy perspective, team chemistry perspective. Um, the defense seems to be more in sync team wise. I like him out on the perimeter. He brings a lot of lot of energy. So I like that idea as well. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and even attempt to do Juwan Howard's job, but I do think there is another gear to be unlocked with some of these other guys that we're mentioning here. And that's why I'm mentioning him, not because like, oh, it's as simple as don't play Brandon Johns and, and play, you know, Brooks less in favor of Bufkin or something like that. It's just I think there's some athleticism and there's some some moves left to be made with with the pieces you still have on the board here with this team. Because if you look at next year's projections, assuming people that are eligible to come back do, which never happens. But next year, this team could easily roll out Buffkin Collins backcourt with the front court of Houston, Musa, and Hunter Dickinson. Yeah, it's entirely possible. And we'll never bring back all those guys. It, no. Yeah, it's simply just not going to happen. But there was an article that came out, uh, I think it was this week, talking about the frequency in which second round draft picks in the NBA are cut. Like the difference between being a first round draft pick and a second round draft pick and your likelihood of sticking in the league, like it's pretty drastic. So all we don't have anybody that's a runaway first round talent this year. So I'd like to see them all, all return. But um well, imagine if Shonda Brown came back, what he could have benefited from this season, like how many shots he would have oh, gotten man. and the numbers he would have put uh, up. We could really use Shonda Brown this year. His his NBA career could use it right now if he'd come back this season. Let's be honest. It's it's tough to make it when you're when you're kind of floundering over there in the G League. Um all right, I want I have a few more basketball points for you, but got to take a second talk about home field apparel out of Indianapolis. Good group of people that also have the best line of clothing. I don't just endorse it. I wear it. It's the majority of my wardrobe. I am rocking it right now. I'm down in South America, so I've primarily switched to the short sleeves, but I'm in the AC recording in a nice, warm home field apparel hoodie right now. They've got you covered. Any franchise that you want to follow, hopefully it's Michigan, and you can get 20% off your first purchase with MNB at homefieldapparel.com. All right, I got two superlatives for you real quick, uh, and then we'll, we'll finish off this basketball chat. Let's do it. Who is the best defensive player? We'll say uh, best man-to-man -man defender on this Michigan basketball team currently. Devontae Jones. I, I, 
I, I don't want to jump back. Eli Brooks has a case. Musa Diabate has a case, in my opinion. I think it's got to be one of those three guys. I like what Jace Howard brings in the press, but I haven't seen enough just strict man-to-man over extended period to really justify that sample size. So I, I really like what Jones does, but man, our boy Frankie Collins had one hell of a play against Ohio State where he gambled on a pass up front, missed it, totally blew, left his team out to dry, chases the ball... <laughs> ball handler down from behind and blocks it off the glass. I was like, oh, oh, that's that's what that is. That was something. But I still have to go with Devontae Jones because he's a really just savvy, instinctual defender. Yeah, let's do a moment on Frankie Collins before we move on because uh, I, I want it to be known that you and I both agree Collins and Diabate are the future of this team, right? You agree with me there? Facts. Oh, that two-man game next year. We run pick and rolls with those two. If Frankie yeah. Collins can get a more consistent jumper. Oh, yeah. come All on. Right. We're on the same page what here. Are here. What, are we, what are we talking about here? That's going to bleed into my my question later. But um, I'm going to agree with you. I think right now it's Savante Jones for what he brings on a night-to-night basis. And then I'll probably agree with in the way that you ordered it as well with Eli Brooks being mentioned second, Diabate being mentioned third. I wanted to go crazy here and say it's Diabate. He had a bit of a rough game against Ohio State. I'm not trying to take recency into this because he's been awesome for a freshman, and yeah. what he's been asked to do, are, he's above his years as far as like he doesn't get into foul trouble that often, which you would expect out of a guy that's playing the way he's playing. He's being asked to be like their primary paint defender, with Dickinson being your primary offensive guy. And Dickinson's taken, I guess, a little bit of a step on defense. Not not anything. <laughs> it's even that. <laughs> you're, you're hesitant there. So, yeah. So there's not much there. So I can't say it's Diabate. So I'll go. I'll, I'll agree with you that it's it's Jones, Brooks, and then Diabate. And then, and then who? That's and then it's like Frankie Collins for that one play. That's pretty much it, man. It gets really grim around there. And yeah, it's it's funny though, because like we talk about like how our guard deficiency is the offensive problem of this team, but that's what keeps the defensive live. Yeah, no, no, I, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's a weird team in that way. And also, uh, it's not as big of a drop off to Terry two sticks. I do like Terrence Williams. That's, that's a yeah, guess. Yeah. That's, good. Yeah, that's not a giant drop to him. We forgot about him there. I do think he's going to be a really, really good two way player for us next year. Like, seriously, I, I, I really have a high, high expectations for Terrence Williams. And I think he should be used more along with Jace Howard in this in this current iteration of this team. All right. My next my next question for you is a bit of a two parter. Who's your favorite player to watch on this team versus who do you think the fans' favorite player is to watch on this team? This this is great because we get to talk about both our right. favorite and players. And we are fans <laughs> ourselves, so let's yeah, yeah, let's let's clarify. So my favorite player to watch is Frankie Collins. One for the aesthetic of the hair. The guy has beautiful hair flowing in the wind like a superhero. And secondly, he's crazy athletic with a wicked quick crossover. Bunnies through the roof. Like I love Frankie Collins' game. Love the way he plays, how hard he plays. But fan favorite is your favorite player and my girlfriend's favorite player, and that is Musa Diabate. Not just because of how hard he plays and everything else. He brings an energy and a grit and a mean edge to him this team desperately needs. Hunter Dickinson kind of has it, but it kind of feels like a facade. Like, it's just kind of arrogant energy. Musa feels so raw and from, like, a deep place. of like, I'm going to prove myself, and I want to kill everybody on this basketball court. That's how he plays, and I understand why he's the fan favorite. He is my runner-up. So 
don't don't come after me. I, no, I, I don't think anyone's coming after you for that. Frankie Collins has been awesome to watch. I am one of those uh, starstruck fans that thinks it's Musa at number one. Frankie's my number two. My number three is either Caleb Houston or Jace Howard. I I love that. Jace Howard minutes like per minute played. Jace Howard's number one. Like yeah, that's just yeah. a fact of it. Per second, yeah, this is this is a pro Jace Howard podcast, and we're going to be vocal about it. I really think he's going to be a player for us. Um, but moving down the list, then then I'm going Eli Brooks, and then I'm going Hunter Dickinson. And I yeah, go ahead, go ahead. What are your thoughts on that? And then I want to pose a question. I love that because I will say Eli Brooks can vault up that list though. When he gets hot, oh man, is it fun to watch? Like the eight point spurt against Purdue to ice him, the free throws to knock out Penn State. That's that's a lot of fun to watch. But yeah, I'm with you on the Hunter Dickinson thing. Like, I don't know, you know, not my favorite Michigan Wolverine. I love our own. I always will, you know, but not my favorite Wolverine to watch. Misses the bunnies, sometimes the energy and the body language I don't like. The defensive effort, I don't always agree with. So I love him because he's our own. I'm with you there. And that is the perfect transition to what will now be a weekly segment for us. It's time for Remove the Goggles. In Remove the Goggles, this is how this is going to work. Every week, look, you and I, you and I know, Andy, who we are as fans. We are obviously unabashed Michigan fans, Michigan faithful, and it can be very difficult to look beyond how close we are to the program and how close we are to, to rooting for their success. But that can also be a negative. And sometimes the fans just got to take off those rose colored glasses, remove the graduation goggles or the beer goggles that are tinting things and look at things for what they are. So that is going to be this segment week in and week out starting today. Let's get after it, man. I'm excited for this week one time to remove the goggles. You as a team in the NCAA tournament are not going to make it very far when your best player plays like Hunter Dickinson and when your team leader is a player like Hunter Dickinson. And I want to get your thoughts on that and then I will clarify my position. Team leader, I'm 100% with you. I don't think Hunter Dickinson's cut out to lead on this team. I don't like just like the small things you see from him sometimes. Like it seems like a me first kind of player. I don't know who Hunter Dickinson makes better on this team. So that's one of my things, but the road game against Purdue that Michigan lost when his three ball is dropping like that, he does have that talent that can keep you going in an NCAA tournament game. So I'll push back about 20% on that, but I don't think it's reliable enough to make the run that we want this team to make. Okay. You defended your position well, but um, I'm here to stomp on all of that because (laughs) if your seven foot one center is expected to win games operating out beyond the three point line, I don't know any team in either NBA or NCAA that operates like that and can operate like that successfully unless he's hitting him at 50%, you know, and then you're playing Diabate down there to get the other ones. Like I don't see that as a feasible formula. The leadership thing I think we're both on the same page about is like I've never seen him as a guy that's taking people into the weight room, that's spending extra time after practice. We've never heard anything like that. Um, He does the big dick energy celebration, which is awesome. Hilarious. We love trolling. We love people that are shit talkers. 
we love all that parts of the game. I'm a huge fan of it. But when that's like supposed to be your leader and he's doing like immature stuff like that, it's probably not a good sign for the leadership of like a team that's going to go far. And then the third point is the point that you made in your counter argument. He doesn't make anyone around him better. Uh, He's improved as a passer this year. He's improved as a shooter this year. He hasn't improved really on defense and he hasn't improved as a leader. So to me, that's kind of just like a net. It's the same player we had last year which if you're hoping for progression means that it's a net loss. He he doesn't improve the guys around him and his passing isn't such that you can build an entire strategy around. We'll feed it to Dickinson. He'll get it to the right guys at the right time. So I just don't see it as a, a team that can win really anything major as constructed right now. That's my remove the goggles moment. I like that. So you're saying this team, as long as Hunter Dickinson is their best player, can never make a Final Four. I'll say it can't make an Elite Eight, yeah. Uh, Even a Sweet 16, I think, would be a bit surprising because you have to have it every night. Every single night, you got to have 27 and 10 from Dickinson. Who would you say was our best player last year since we made the Elite Eight? Uh, Franz Wagner, 100%. I mean, he didn't even have a great run in the Big Ten and in the NCAA tournament, but he was still our best player. What he does uh, from what he did from a playmaking and defensive standpoint, you and I were on it. I mean, you were there for all the podcasts. We said, look, the stats aren't there, but this dude's creating everything for this offense. It was Franz Wagner, potential rookie of the year. Yeah. And I I think it was a collection on the outside too of Franz, Mike Smith, Sean Day, Eli, because all of them could get hot. And not to even mention before Isaiah Livers got hurt in the middle of the season. Yeah, Isaiah Livers is an awesome leader, a senior that can shoot and play great defense. Franz Wagner grew to 6'10 and could play elite defense on anybody on the team. He could cover one through five. Like last year. I mean, that was huge. And he could initiate for you when your point guards weren't doing much. Mike Smith was not that great throughout the tournament run. But because you had Franz Wagner, you could dump it off to and be a secondary creator. That was huge for the team. So, yeah, it was it was obviously Franz Wagner. And no one's asking Hunter Dickinson to be that. Um, And I'm not here to just shit on Hunter Dickinson because he's he's awesome and he's going to put up legendary numbers here at Michigan what I'm saying is if you're running your offense through him and that is the focal point of your offense and that is your team leader I don't see that being a team that's going to do anything like and surprise the world this year and, and go on some big run that's my opinion taking off the goggles I love that. He's not a Nikola Jokic. That's what people have to understand. He's Jokic is a one of one, and they think all interior bigs can do that now. Right. And I'm 100% with you. He's not that guy. But now we put the goggles back on, and we're going to win the Big Ten. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's put the goggles back on. And with Mason Plumley as our, as our anchor, we're going to make a giant run here. <laughs> Get out of here. These plumly minutes. Yeah, we can't wait for these plumly minutes and have that be the focal point of our offense for the next six weeks. Oh, man. All right, brother. Uh, Good basketball talk. We're going to take a break and we're going to discuss in the second half of this podcast the coaching changes. Uh, Obviously, there's been a lot that has been finalized over the last couple weeks. It looks like we're locked in for next year, but we're going to talk about the the shakeup and the rooms as far as the players and coaches combined that really look strong going into next year as a bit of an intro to what should be a thorough off-season dive into a 2022 football season. We'll be back right after this. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. We're switching over to football in the second half of this thing because we can and because we should. And the coaching carousel at Michigan has largely stopped, barring something unforeseen. And we have our final coaches there, and we want to get into that in the best rooms. But there was a bit of news that I think went under the radar for how potentially important it could be. And that is Michigan announced that they will, through their Victor's program, be launching an NIL program, which is name, image, and likeness program for businesses, donors, alums, and others that want to connect with UM student athletes for NIL deals. This is a pretty open program based on what I've read about it. And the uh, obviously the details are still being withheld as far as how this is going to work. And we may not know that for a while, but on the surface, this looks like this could be an awesome, awesome way for Michigan to use some of its muscle in the recruiting world. This is the Steve Nash, but this is what this is what this is. This is the Steve Nash. This is a facilitator portal. This is like the serving as the complete middleman for all future and current student athletes to get deals, work with people, whether it be, I don't know, a Meineke car care place or an air conditioner or Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Like everybody can come straight through there, handle negotiations and connect with players from all different sports and walks of life. And it's just awesome. This is a home run for the university and just a really a step into what modern college athletics is. So this is a huge deal for me for two reasons. The first reason being that it says it's opening it up for donors and businesses, meaning that businesses in the local Ann Arbor area or further in Michigan, Detroit areas can reach out and they can look for Michigan players, athletes to be sponsors that way. That is initially right off the bat. That's that's pretty cool. The second part is, is that you can just do donors. So I'm pretty sure we could just get some sort of Twitter thing going with all of, you know, Scott Bell maybe running it, maybe Maze and Brew ch- chiming in, and we're all just donating a dollar. Does that mean like now we can just contribute to buying our own recruits? Because if so, I'm in. And uh, this is going to suck up a tremendous amount of my wealth. I'm just saying, dude, me, you, Jose, and Omar, we can just give them 20s of money, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 20s on top of 20s. What you want? Yes. Guys aren't ready for this. Yeah, I mean, I guess technically you can. I wonder if there's like a there has to be a threshold to become a donor, I would imagine, because I feel like otherwise, if we haven't looked into this, if we could just give like, you know, 
10 bucks, you know, give some lunch money. Yeah. Like if we become donors somehow, I'm not going to name buildings after us, but you know, maybe a tree or something. Right. Well, maybe if we get enough Twitter followers together, we can come up with a group name for all of us that bought, you know, this defensive end out of the 2024 class that ended up having 30 career sacks or something. It'd be nice. I'd feel like I really contributed to the team because Lord knows I never had a chance to make the team on the field. But uh, <laughs> we're we're getting off topic because I do think there's a big part of this that wasn't discussed, not the, not the part that I'm jesting about. But the fact that Michigan has the largest network of alums, donors, the most interconnected network of any university, maybe Texas is right up there with us, but we have one of the best networks of just alumni and uh, outreach programs and connected, you know, um, people that are close to the university. The athletes are still part of the program in a lot of ways. So I think this could be bigger for Michigan than it would be for a lot of other programs in the sense that you're going to have a lot of people that are going to be contributing to this and to Michigan's future success. The Michigan Alumni Association is well documented for everything you just said. The connective tissue between them all, the influence they still have, the communication. People that went to Michigan care about going to Michigan. It's one of the biggest things. Very proud about that fact and want it to be known once they experience success and wealth outside of it and want to give back and help. So you're 100% right that that part is not being discussed enough that now there is something to connect all of these alumni to the program again with a direct line to them like there's no like worrying about going around or breaking rules this program the steve nash allows you to facilitate that directly the nash directive i like it yeah so it's it's obviously not going to be what i was jesting about with you know twitter users buying players for ten dollar contributions and stuff here i don't think it will be that but it is much more likely to be that michigan has opened things up for their just vast network of you know influence and people of you know they, they've learned a lot about the program they've learned how to navigate the business world can now contribute to this team i think that that opens up a, an incredible amount of possibilities and i'm very excited to see where that goes and i would not be surprised if you see an immediate uptick in recruiting because of something like this i just i'm really high on this deal for michigan and i'll be keeping a close eye on it personally Instead of donating money, I wonder if they'd let us barter like podcast airtime. Like I would just love to get like Braden McGregor and have his thoughts on Israel on the podcast. Like Braden, <laughs> your thoughts. Textile <laughs> manufacturing in Manila down 60% from last year. We've brought in Michael Barrett to discuss. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> It's exactly what we do to PM. I don't, I don't know if it'll sell, you know, quite as well. We have Iman Dennis here discussing scaffolding issues in <laughs> inner city Detroit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I certainly would tune in for that, but uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a lunatic. But yeah, I mean, Mason Graham talking about uh, the treads on tires in, uh, in Formula One racing versus, you know, the, the rise in murders due to Scooby-Doo airings on TNT. <laughs> As a big F1 fan, I would love to hear Mason Graham's <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> I'm with you, man, but I'll be keeping an eye on this. It should be very interesting, and uh, I think it's going to benefit Michigan. But let's shift here because actually Michigan has finalized their coaching staff, and this is this is substantial because it was looking a little bit bleak there for a while. We've talked about the seesaw that was, you know, the the discussions with Harbaugh. You lose Gaddis. 
you don't know what's going on with Mike McDaniel. You end up losing him. So it was weird there for a while, but we're finalized. The last pieces to come in, Jesse Minter is brought in as the defensive coordinator, most recently of Vanderbilt. Uh, Matt Weiss is going to be moved to co-offensive coordinator. Mike Elston brought in as recruiting coordinator and defensive line coach. He's brought in for Notre Dame. Uh, Steve, Steve Klinkscale is promoted to co-DC. Uh, he'll also still be with defensive backs. Sharon Moore is now your co-offensive coordinator and your offensive line coach. Ron Bellamy moves to receivers. Jay Harbaugh stays with special teams, adds safeties. Ben Herbert stays the same. Grant Grant Newsom comes in at tight ends. Uh, am I missing anybody there? I feel like I just missed uh, George there. Hilo linebackers. George Hilo goes to linebackers. That was the one. That yeah, stay, stays with him. Yeah, stays with linebackers. Yeah. So the other guys remain the same. So uh, a lot of the the faces here are similar or guys that we knew from last year. A couple new faces there in Jesse Minter and Mike Elson. I want to get your initial thoughts on the hires. I really like the moves they've made. I love my favorite is probably the most unheralded. And that's Grant Newsom coming into tight ends. I love keeping the Michigan man there. He's been attached to the program since his um, injury in 2016, which is very unfortunate. So I love this for him to get this kind of shot now as a legit position coach on a Big Ten school. So that's outstanding. And I love the Mike Elston and Matt Weiss reshuffling. I love or Matt, or sorry, Matt Weiss being reshuffled, Mike Elston being brought in. And I love Steve Klinkscale becoming co-DC now. That's a huge, it makes me feel really good about the defense moving forward because Jesse Mentor, I'm, I'm warm about it, but I'm not raving about it because with all the names that were thrown around, this one kind of felt like, oh, okay, this is fun. So it's probably the least excited of all of them, but the fact that Clink got the code DC like nod makes me feel good. I'm 100% with you. I want to fight back because it's more interesting when we fight, but we just never do. I I agree with you in the sense that Mincher was not my guy. I think Larry Foote or Derek Mason with those names floating out there, that's a bit more interesting to me. Uh, the Matt Weiss one is interesting because you're hearing a lot from within the program that they're really high on this guy. So I, I, I don't know what that means for the offense, but I mean, he's got two really good quarterbacks to work with next year keeping my eye on that Mike Elston at recruiting coordinator. I do like that. He had some success at actually he had really good success, some strong success at Notre Dame as a recruiter and comes in as your defensive line guy. I think that that's a good pickup for you. I don't think you're losing too much from Sean Nua to Mike Elston as a coach. We'll see about as a recruiter. Love Newsom. I'm totally on the same page with you about Grant Newsom. This is a guy that I've never heard a an ill word spoken of. So I think that's a guy that you want to keep on your team. Uh, I'll go with my favorite move being Steve Klinkscale. Uh, retaining Klinkscale and and promoting him to co-DC, I think, is my favorite of these moves. I'm glad they kept Sharon Moore. I'm glad they kept Ron Bellamy. Those are great guys. Um, big fan of Harbaugh getting a little bit more responsibility with getting special teams and safeties. Now that's awesome. But I think it's clink scales. My favorite move, maybe keeping Sharon Moore is probably my second favorite move. It's how do you feel about this coaching staff compared to last year's with what you know, now knowing that how good McDonald was, but also knowing the tax you have to pay with Josh Gaddis. That's a good question. And I think it'll play into the discussion we're about to have here about the rooms that are in the best shape. 
Um, I'm a little lower on the coaching staff this year than last year. I think that that should be expected, though, because we knew a little bit more of what we had. Um, but granted, you know, remember, we're coming off two wins when we came into last year's season. We were not as high on Josh Gaddis. You and I liked the potential. We liked some bits of what we had seen, even in that two-win campaign. Um, so we were high on it. But we liked Mike McDaniel. We were pretty high on that. It seems like we're both a little middle of the road on Minter. Uh, I don't know that Mike Elston is a giant um, step up from Sean Nua, if at all. So I can't say it's it's in a better better spot than last year. What do you think? I, and, and that's not a knock. I think it's still a really awesome coaching staff, and you retain some key pieces in Sharon Moore, Jay Harbaugh, Clink Scale. This will play out, but on the surface, I'm with you. I think it's just a step below because you had the continuity with Gaddis at least. But I honestly, my two favorite retentions – outside of Jim Harbaugh, of course, were Sharon Moore and Steve Klinkscale, both co-offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, for stuff they bring behind the scenes as far as that leadership continuity on top of just their skill. These two are very good leaders of men, and they could be the – I mean, I say I think they're the most important coaches on this staff, even losing McDonald and Gaddis. Keeping those two is higher up for me on the list. I'm with you, but let's also talk a little bit here about Mike Hart, who some of the more uh, radical sects of Twitter were saying should take over for OC when Josh Gaddis left. But that was that was obviously a bit much. And uh, I don't know, maybe get off the opium. But I love Mike Hart on this team, and I do think he is a guy that's going to keep rising. I don't know, though. I look at this now. You've got now Ron Bellamy, Sharon Moore. And, you know, Matt, Matt Weiss, is it Weiss or Weiss? I don't know. It's called Matty W. <laughs> That's more syllables. I don't know. <laughs> helping me. You somehow made it worse. You somehow <laughs> made his name worse. Uh, Matt Weiss. And I don't know if he's supposed to be another guy that's like an up and comer there. So I do wonder about Mike Hart's ability to to rise up the rankings in this coaching staff, being as how he didn't rise up in this in this current iteration of the staff. So we'll see what happens with him, but nonetheless, I'm glad to have him back, back in the fold. Um, but your, to your original question there. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, what was your original question? <laughs> <laughs> well, before you say that, I think, did they add running game coordinator to Mike Hart this year? I didn't see that on the, on the press release. No, I'm yeah. I'm just I, I know he, I know he, he is this year. <clears throat> Excuse me. I didn't know if he was last year. I know last year he was just running backs coach. So maybe he's going to have more say with some game planning responsibility. So like not technically a co OC, but you're going to have some input on how we're going to run the football. So I don't know if that, that I think they gave him a kind of gave him a bone there. But the original question was, how do you feel about this coaching staff compared to last year's right. coaching yeah, staff? Right, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's, it goes back to my initial point. I don't think it's a giant step up. But I'm just glad they kept hard as well was my final addendum to that point. Was He's a good guy to keep on your staff. And I like the staff. Overall, I think this is a, a really solid staff. Um, who is your favorite guy on the staff? And then that's going to lead into our discussion. Which of the best rooms, you know, running back room with – their coach and the players they've got back wide receiver room or defensive line group with the coach. And then the players they're, they're bringing back, which one's in the best shape. But I want to say, I want my question to you is which of them is your favorite, which one are you like, okay, this is the next guy on this staff. Cause it was Gaddis for us. It was McDaniel for us. They're both gone. I, I wrote about it this week. So I'm a little close to the subject matter. 
I, I've talked to you about this off air. I love Jay Harbaugh. Yeah. Jay Harbaugh, everywhere he has touched, has turned out well. And last season coming off, like, just tremendous coverage on both units, punt blocks, a, ret- a throwback touchdown, kickoff return touchdown, um, uh, the Lou Groza award-winning kicker, Brad Robbins. Let's not even talk about what he did on the field. Let's just talk about the form carrying that metal chair on the sideline, just rallying the troops with a battle cry. Now, I love Jay Harbaugh. He's a fast rise. He's only 32 years old, already won a Super Bowl. So there's that. And just everything he's done. I love what he, I, the special teams were one of my favorite groups last year. And if you haven't checked it out, do yourself a favor. Check out his thread on Twitter, break singling out guys and their contributions to special teams because it's a fascinating thing to read through. It's awesome to read through. And that's a guy that really cares about his dudes and they all seem to really respond to him. So that part also puts him pretty high on my list. I'm not going to give my answer because I want to get into this next segment here. The best rooms after the coaching shuffle with what we know is coming back and we'll kind of run through each group that we think is a candidate, plus the recruits they're bringing in. These are recruits that are not necessarily recruited by the guy that's now coaching because there's been a shuffle. We've lost a couple guys, so we're not going to talk about their ability as a recruiter. We're just going to talk about in this the rooms that we think are really set up for success based on what we've seen already. So it's going to be really hard here to project the Mike Elstons and Jesse Minters of the world, but we'll do our best in that. So uh, let's get it going, my brother. Which room do you want to talk about first? There are actually several here that I think have candidacy. Let's, you know what? Let's talk about the offensive side of the ball first. So let's kind of rank the offense and then we can take the top tier of the offense and compare it to the top tier of the defense. Kind of give it just a little organization there in the discussion. I'm in. Let's go. All right, so offense, I think, has a case for the strongest one-two of any group anywhere on the field, and that is the running back room. For Blake Corum coming back, who was on pace for 1,000 yards, fell just short due to injury, and Donovan Edwards, who has shown he can explode, had a touchdown pass in the Big Ten Championship, broke the single-game Michigan running back receiving record against Maryland. I don't think you're going to find a better one-two in any position group. I like that. And your coach of this unit is Mike Hart, who will be returning after really putting in, I would say, the best running back performance that definitely that we've covered here since we've been at Mays and Brew. And you've got to go back over a decade, maybe two decades to find a running performance as dominant as we had with Michigan last year. So that alone is going to put you in the conversation for most dominant room. So Mike Hart coming back. Blake Corum coming back, Donovan Edwards coming back. The recruiting this year, not really too much worth mentioning there. Um, our third stringer, Hugh and I uh, both really like, I, um, whose name escapes me now. Tavier Dunlap. Tavi Dunlap. Well, that's because I'm on my third Argentinian beer. I'm allowed. Uh, but Tavi, <laughs> we're excited about Tavi Dunlap as well. We just haven't seen much from him. But yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good submission. I like that. Uh, my submission, you said the top two. And I'm interested to see because I think there's three on the offense that you could submit as like ridiculously strong rooms. Well, I think the running back room has the strongest top two players. Oh, okay. I got you. Strongest. Okay. Yeah. Totally agree with you. I mean, you've got two starters there. Two stars, I think. Stars. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. All right. But I'll bring up the one that has the best depth 
and I think this one's unquestioned, and that's the wide receiver room. Ron Bellamy's taking over here. Ron Bellamy, who last year was, he was what, co-O-line? Uh, safeties. And, oh, he was safeties. safeties. Yeah, so he's moving over. Harbaugh's going to safeties. So he's moving to the offense. So that maybe takes it down a notch because he's moving back to offense. Um, we'll see about that. I'm not going to knock him for that because you're returning Ronnie Bell, A.J. Henning, Roman Wilson, Andrew Anthony, Cornelius Johnson, Mike Sainristrill. And you're also recruiting. You got two key recruits in Tyler Morris and Darius Clemens, both four stars. That is without a doubt the most absurd room or as far as like talent, the most absurd list of a single position that I've ever uttered here while covering Michigan. That is loaded. Well, I want to give one pushback for our final nomination here, and that's the offensive line, who, don't forget, was awarded the best offensive line in college football last year. Fair. Okay, so you bring back three starters in Ryan Hayes, Zach Zinter, Trevor Keegan, a player with immense amount of experience in Carson Barnhart, and then you upgrade at the center position with Oluolu. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. Oluwatimi. Yeah, whatever. The Virginia Center transfer, who's a Remington Award finalist, and you add Andrew Gentry, a 20-year-old, 6'8", 310-pound mammoth. So it's like that they have a case. Like It's unbelievable at how much talent you have in the wide receiver room and in the offensive line room. Also want to add that Andrew Gentry has like a 1430 on his SATs. Dude's going to be a rocket scientist, so... Probably going to be pretty good at the tackle position, too, at that size. <laughs> I think he can handle a seven tech, okay? That's what I'm saying. He'll figure it out on the mental side of things. Uh, that's an incredible room. Uh, the fact that you're bringing back Sharon Moore, uh, again, as co-OC, that's huge. That's a guy that you can tell players love. Obviously, the, the staff values him. They want to keep him around. All right, so which is it? Which of the offenses, uh, offensive rooms is in the best shape? best returning room. I mean, it's a debate. Uh, let's take, I'd say first removal is running back just because there's only two of them, but I don't know. There's that, two stars. This is very difficult because you don't have the depth there. And with the offensive line, we didn't even mention Trent A. Jones or our boy, Greg Crippen or Reese Atterbear who all played last year. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you were a little high on Barnhart who only has two career starts, I believe. So Barnhart's like the offensive line's still a bit of a question mark. So you could argue that running back is stronger than offensive line, but I'm really high on wide receiver. This is a tough one. I don't know the three starters back on the O line plus a Remington finalist. I wouldn't say it's a question mark. Okay. All right. So how do we rank this then here? Because the one knock on the wide receiver room is that Ron Bellamy's moving in there, but isn't Ronnie Bell their coach anyway? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I mean, yeah. And Ron Bellamy's supposedly an upgrade at that position. This is tough. This is, this is I, near I, impossible to say which of these rooms is in the best shape. I'm going to remove offensive line as number one, because you're losing two starters and you're losing two all big 10 performers. So I'm going to take them off the table as number one. Do you agree? I like their depth better than running back. Okay. Well, that's the thing though. Running back's only going to play three guys. They're going to play potentially 11. Yeah. And try, but also it's like the offensive line was the best single offensive line in football last year. It's like, we can't say that about our receivers because the production just wasn't there. Okay. All right. So we're removing, re this is ridiculous, but now you've got, <laughs> know, is... we may never get anywhere on this. I don't know if we we can say 
So we say if we're doing the whole all whole positions on the offensive side of the ball, quarterbacks would be first with quarterbacks be first eliminated. Quarterbacks is first eliminated. Yeah, uh, yeah, because we got <laughs> tight ends on this list as honorable mention. That's crazy. That is crazy <laughs> to say that like the the position group that we're most worried about. I'm doing air quotes now is quarterback, which we're gonna have maybe five to thirty pods just discussing which guy we want more. Yeah, because then the tight end room, which our honorable mention is Scooney, Eric All, Honingford, and you're bringing in Colston Loveland. And Grant Newsom taking over as coach there, which yeah, big unknown as far as the coaching side of things. But you're bringing back all three of your guys. So that's a really good position group. All right, we're forced to do it now. Uh, it's on the table. You've talked me into taking wide receiver down from one. So that means it's running backs or offensive line at one. Talk me into one of them, and I'll probably go with you. (laughs) Because there's more question marks at offensive line, I like your point that only so many running backs can play, so that kind of negates the depth there because it's not five positions. I will say running backs one because you have two proven stars that are going to do 95% of the work, and then at offensive line two, receivers three. I'm willing to agree with it only because I have no idea how to do this. It's an incredibly great problem to have. But I mean, look how many names we just named off of guys that were like, oh, yeah, that guy's going to be good. That guy's going to be good. <laughs> we listed like six wide receivers. Mike Sainer still's the last one. That guy's awesome. Mike. Yeah, he is awesome. We named him last by accident. We all know it should have been CJ. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you and I have CJ last. And that's not a knock on CJ. If that's your ninth best receiver or whatever he is, that's awesome. Yeah, so this is a fun exercise to do and argue and see which ones, you know, you and your friends come up with, which are, which team, which group you think is the best, because you and I would never be in just complete unison on this because there's a thousand different angles to look at. This could be a good uh, pod to throw a poll into the post, not to put that pressure on you here on air, but this might be a good poll because I had a lot of trouble figuring that out live. That's yeah, I, I will put it in there. But now let's talk about the defense and see if there's anything that could even come close to the offense. Absolutely. So the defense is a much different story. As it's been well documented, we think that the offense is going to be better than the defense, at least to start things out. That's not to say there are not some really intriguing position groups and some good rooms there on the defense. I'll start with the secondary. Uh, I think that is probably going to be the best one here, but there's some discussion there. You got Steve Klinkscale coming back to coach the secondary. He's also co-DC now. And then you also add Jay Harbaugh, who's adding this duty as at safeties, excuse me, to his special teams role. Obviously, we're high on Jay Harbaugh. You're returning players. You get Jamon Green and DJ Turner back in the secondary. You lose Vincent Gray. Uh, At the safety position, you get Rod Moore and R.J. Moten back, who were neither starters, but both played a ton. Uh, There's also guys like Makari Page there in the mix, Jordan Morantz in the mix. Your key recruits, though, this is big. Will Johnson, five-star, almost guaranteed effective player at the Big Ten level. Keon Sab and Zeke Berry. How do you feel about this secondary room, uh, even though you're losing quite a few guys? This is the best unit on the defense, and I'm so glad you started there. Bringing over Jay Harbaugh, retaining Clink, you get your number one corner coming back in DJ Turner. Your number three corner in Gamon Green becomes your number two, which is fine. 
And both safeties played a ton. Uh, Rod Moore led the team in tackles against Ohio State as a true freshman. Uh, R.J. Moten, more than serviceable back there. Interception against Michigan State, very physical. Love the depth, love the recruiting, love the coaching probably most of all. So I'm very high on the secondary. That's why we started with offense. It's not nearly going to be as difficult on defense. This is and should be the strength of the team, both at the coaching level, Steve Klink scale, probably the next guy to take a jump and go somewhere else as a DC. A uh, little surprised he didn't get the the nod here with Jesse Minter coming in and don't know what more you get from Minter that you couldn't get from Klink scale and then bringing in a recruiter, but I digress. Uh, Jay Harbaugh, though, a guy that over the last two years, actually, I don't know, three years, every year, Jay Harbaugh gains a little bit of respect, I think, from from people like us and definitely from people that really study and watch the game and, and look at these things as a coach for what you're getting out of that guy. And and the returning players that you mentioned, if Jamon Green is your second cornerback coming back and DJ Turner is a potential star, you're in a better spot coming into 2022 than you were coming into 2021. And you won the Big Ten championship with that team. Secondary wise, obviously, well, you know, there's a few other pieces that led to that 21 championship. But secondary wise, you're in a better position next year than you were this year. And then Rod Moore, R.J. Moten, totally fine with that at safety. That'll be great. Will Johnson's going to play this year. Zeke Berry, you and I have as a lock as a player that's going to contribute. And then Keon Sapp. So hard to be too down on this. I think this is, without a doubt, the best room on the defense. I think so as well. Now the argument on the defense become which lo- which room is worse overall or in worse shape. I want to say worse. That sounds too condescending. Sure. Between linebackers and defensive line. Because at linebackers, you lose Josh Ross, but you mm-hmm. bring back Nikai Hill Green, Junior Colson, and Michael Barrett. Yeah, and then let's go through the defensive line. So we're bringing back, we're losing Hinton Ojabo, and obviously the greatest living American currently in Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, but we're bringing in Elston as D-line guy and recruiting coordinator uh, to replace the departed Sean Nua. And uh, guys that we expect to be impact players this year, Jalen Harrell, Chris Jenkins, Mozzie Smith, um, I'm missing Mike Morris, Mike Morris, Mike Taylor Morris Upshaw. and Taylor Upshaw are your expected guys versus linebackers who current coach will be, um, Hilo Hilo. Yeah. I don't know much about him. He does not get talked about that much. Um, and then you're bringing back junior Colson, Michael Barrett, Nikai Hill green. I'm going to say linebackers. It's it's linebackers. Once I said it all out loud, it's linebackers are in the worst shape. It's, yeah, again, it's one position compared to, like, you have defensive tackles and defensive ends mixed in. And technically in the scheme, like, Ojabo was a linebacker, air quotes. And so you can say Jalen Harrell's back there. They have the starters, and they have players like Jimmy Rolder coming in, who I'm super, super high on. But the linebackers just have no depth that the defensive line does. It, it's it's incomparable. It falls off a cliff after the three guys I just named. That's why it's it's impossible to do it. There's names at least on the defensive line where you're like, oh yeah, okay, that guy could probably step up. I mean, Braden McGregor's a guy that you want to talk about a fingers crossed guy for this year. Braden McGregor might be the number one fingers crossed dude on this team that we hope hits because if he hits our ceiling raises. So there's a lot of, a lot of those guys on the defensive line. I don't even know where we hope to get reinforcements at linebacker. 
Well, I still haven't sold my Kaleo Mulling stock, so he's still around there as well. And Rolder coming in, I said I'm high on. So there's some names floating around there. Is Anthony Solomon, he transferred this past year? He did. We lost like five linebacker transfers in the last year and a half. So the best news is Junior Colson's coming back, and that's that's a staple for two more years who could be the star of the defense next year. It's him or Turner next year. I'll be interested to talk about which one we think is the actual star of the defense moving forward, but it's their defense now. So I'm fascinated to talk about that. Uh, there is one other position group to talk about here, though, potentially if you count special teams as a position group. They retain Jay Har- Harbaugh. They bring back Brad Robbins. They bring back Jake Moody. They bring back A.J. Henning and Ronnie Bell should be healthy next year. Are we overlooking special teams as potentially the strongest unit on the team because it's so often forgotten? It 100 percent is the best. We bring back the best kicker in college football and Brad Robbins with one of the best net punting averages. No, it's. Honestly, it could be special teams in a runaway against everybody because they bring back every starter and contributor. How long does Jay Harbaugh ride it out underneath his his dad? That sounds really, really weird. You could have phrased that a little better. <laughs> you could have phrased that better. But you know what I'm saying. How long does he, he you know, stick underneath his dad as a, a, a Coke? That's also not great. How, How long, long does, does he remain... <laughs> a coordinator underneath his dad when obviously this is an incredible coach. It's going to be interesting to watch because he's moving up the ranks, already became a coordinator this young. Uh, remember, his uncle, John Harbaugh, was a special teams coordinator before just going straight into becoming a head coach. So it could be coming, but I don't think he's going to leave under like his dad's leadership. Add the word leadership there. So won't leave that role until it's a big job for him or something he really sees as a step up because being there's a lot worse jobs than being a special teams coordinator at Michigan. I agree. I think he's going to be the offensive coordinator for the Bears when Harbaugh takes the job in 2026. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. Go ahead. He deserves it. Everything he's done is great and he's just gotten better as a head as an assistant coach. So, this is a very very pro Jay Harbaugh podcast good man and and it's really he's worked his way up to like every year you see the progression and you can tell that he's contributing to this team and it's pretty far from nepotism with 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 Jay Harbaugh that is a dude that is really contributing so we rank this overall the overall hierarchy we're going to put special teams one because they're returning I mean how can you not they're returning everybody yeah and they were very good last year like in all phases of the game and the coach like I think it's the most known quantity of this team. So that means we're going running backs two. Yes. We're going offensive line three. Yes. We're going wide receivers four. Yes. We're going secondary five. I, oh man, the secondary, you have a little more. It's interesting to compare the secondary to the receivers because you don't know what Ronnie Bell is coming back yet. You don't know what shape he's going to be in. You know you have your number one corner coming back, two very good safeties, and Gamon Green, who's played a ton in a former starter. Mm. So it's like, is the one to four of the wide receiver room as ready as that? Plus, not to mention Will Johnson, Sab, and Barry. So you could put secondary above wide receivers. I like your argument there. I'll still stick with wide receivers. I'm not going to, you know, knock them down a peg because they were hampered with, and, and I love Cade McNamara, but not elite quarterback play. 
Like mm-hmm. if you had an elite quarterback throwing to that wide receiver room, I think it's insane. I really do. Okay. So in that grouping, we have either wide receivers or defense or secondary. So somewhere in there, somewhere in there, they're close. I'll put wide yeah. receivers above secondary, but, uh, I, I like your argument. If Will Johnson can play right away, I think it might jump them really quickly. Like you just okay. don't know. Like so much of your projection of that is based on guys that we haven't seen yet. But as soon as Will Johnson's like, oh yeah, he hit, then I, I'd, I'd be willing to put them above wide receivers. I could see that. Okay, so we got those two there, and then I think you have to say tight ends or defensive tight ends. line. Uh, tight ends. I think it's tight okay. ends. I like Grant Newsome. Everybody seems to love that dude. They're going to enjoy playing for Grant Newsome. We bring back all three guys. Eric All had an awesome season. Eric All could be a star. Okay, so then tight ends. Then would you say quarterbacks, defensive line, linebackers to close it? Ooh, quarterbacks, tight ends is actually a debate too. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, very we, close because yeah, yeah. like it's – the one two there is so good. Yeah. Yeah. This is where you get close on the quarterback debates. So I'll say tight end quarterbacks is about as close as wide receiver secondary. So we're right in the same it's, realm. And there's also not a huge gap here between say quarterbacks and secondary because yeah, and, it's yeah, not a huge. This, yeah. It sounds like we're like going to be like, like poo pooing on the quarterbacks and be like, well, look at their numbers. Look at the tight end numbers. It's like, it's not just about numbers as Jake, but so eloquently put us in our place about that. Like not just a statistical argument, the linebackers had not the linebackers, excuse me. The tight ends had such an impact on this team last year. It's hard to quantify, but those of us that watch the games understand how impactful that room was. Absolutely. So I'm not going to downplay that. And Eric all, I mean, on a snowy day, slaying a lion it's it's the moment it's maybe the second best moment of the season i shan't forget it so uh, we're not going to sleep on the tight ends for next year and yeah like you said also we're not shitting on the quarterbacks here like what i think next year could be our best next year is our best quarterback situation since we've been covering the pod it's the best quarterback situation we have covering the pod and we still have them this low and that's because there's a debate raging in the offseason. That's that's what this comes down to. That's that's all it is. And like we're trying to project the best we can. But said this is subjective and fun. And I think we both agree, though, that the bottom two groups would have to be the defensive front seven, the defensive line and the linebackers. And I've got it in that order too, line yeah. and linebackers. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, uh, I mean. It, yeah, we need a little bit of hope there, um, but it's it, the defensive line is the bigger concern. You could probably get through a year without having elite linebackers, without having something elite on that defensive line. That does concern me. Well, I honestly think we have like potential for elite linebackers. It's just the depth. One injury derails that room. I think up top, like the linebackers could be better than the defensive sure. line as far as starters, but one injury and it, it could plummet. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the concern is like Junior Colson's probably a star. And uh, yes. I can't wait for the next star of the defense, DJ Turner versus Junior Colson debates this offseason because it's one of those two guys, I think. And if it's not him, maybe it's Jalen Harrell, I think, uh, on the defensive line. If a guy's going to break, what do you think? If a guy's going to break on the defensive line, who is it? On the defensive line, I love the Jalen Harrell take. Also, I am here for the Mozzie Smith. Mozzie Smith did a lot last year, clogging up lanes and like, it may not always be pretty, but if they're going to get production out of 
you know, not Aiden Hutchinson type defensive ends. It's because Mozzie Smith clogs up and demands so much attention. But I want to give my sneaky like riser on that defense and leader of the defense to Rod Moore, baby. I am mm. all in on Rod Moore. Yeah, that's a guy. I don't think he'll ever be a star on that defense. And we're kind of talking about stars. I don't see him as that. But you want to talk about like a Jordan Kovacs like absolute glue guy. That's how Rod Moore plays. And he played like that as a freshman, like guy that is getting other dudes, juniors and sophomores in line on a play like, yeah, that's a Jordan Kovacs type player. That's super valuable. I see why you're high on Rod Moore. I like it. But as far as stars, I think we've got it ranked properly. It's DJ Turner Colson are your are your one seeds. They're the front runners. Your two seeds are Jalen Harrell, Mozzie Smith. Those are your two seeds. Your three seeds would be Jamon Green. Maybe maybe I would I would put Moten above Jamon Green. You'd put Moten above Green. Okay. All right. I'd be Mo- fine. Moten's very talented and he has the size. I could see Green having a good season. I could see oh, I Green. I like this on Green he, Island here. He's improved. He's he improved last <laughs> year. A guy that improves every year and he's coming back for his senior season. Yes, I'm high on Jamon Green. I like this. He lost his starting spot to DJ Turner last year. And you are in his corner, fists up. I he's love still, this. He's still played a bunch. Yeah, Kling scale's still there. I will stay in Jamon Green's corner. He still had moments last year. He didn't necessarily get benched either. He still played a lot, even after I, Turner came in. I want to get a shirt made with just like in parentheses, like quote out parentheses in quotes for quote you. He improved. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> Just this like skinny, weak looking man standing on the side. But he improved. That's me. That's what you think of me. No, you just like you sound like me just defending like like Brandon Watson or something. You're the one that defends people all the time. Let me defend Jamon Green. I'm a secondary man. I'm not against. There. I'm not against this at all. I love it because I'm going to be yeah. sitting there. Carson wait, Carson Barnhart only had two stars. He played all the time. Have you seen Greg Crippen play? That's what it's going to be. Barnhart had two starts, but he did play quite a few snaps. So you had a better case there. You had a better case there. It's yes. good. Um, yeah, this is this was a good discussion. I think I like our overall ranking of where these. Uh, and, and this is off season. We're going to do this again as things get closer and we see which of these recruits are really starting to fill in nice nicely and starting to hit. So we'll do this again, but I like this as an early view of where these rooms stand. Now that we finalize the coaching staff. Yeah. You just wait till we get into the really fun hypotheticals like dinner between Hunter Dickinson and Quinn Nordine who insults the waitress first. (laughs) (laughs) You say this, you act like we have nothing to cover in off season content, but I'm already over here looking at off season content. Like, are we going to get all this in? Like we've got to do a two week breakdown. Of of Cade McNamara versus JJ McCarthy. That's two weeks minimum. <laughs> oh, that is coming. I make I want this conversation between Nordine and Dickinson on the forefront, though. I mean, this is <laughs> like when we're discussing issues, like I need to know what's gonna who's gonna foot the bill. <laughs> we're gonna need to hire the guy that edited the Joe Rogan podcast to come in because there's it's gonna be awful with the shit that they're saying. It's going to go off the rails here, guys. So prepare for the June content. We can't wait. We have the NFL draft coming up. And, of course, basketball season. Covering the Big Ten tournament is going to be a ton of fun. 
I can't wait. Yeah, we'll do our annual mock draft. We'll do our annual spring draft. That is all coming, obviously. And uh, our plans for video, uh, the the move to YouTube has not changed. I will be returning from South America to North America here shortly, and I expect to get that going. And uh, I think that'll be the time to really dive in to this quarterback debate. So I'm looking forward to that, my friend. And uh, it's never the offseason for us. No apologies to everybody that has to see our faces. We've been told we have the voices and appearance for podcasting. So as we foray into video, just, I mean, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I apologize. I know you, whatever. I've seen some of the people that do podcasts and it's like, man, that guy is a deep voice. He must look like Carl Weathers. And then they come out and it's like Michael Sarah, except he'd been starved to death. <laughs> a thinner Michael Sarah. So yeah, it'll be... It'll be a lot of fun to get out there and get, kind of go into this new medium as well. And we know some listeners have been clamoring for it. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. And coming up next season, we're probably going to be at some more Michigan games and setting up some content there Ooh. to there's, get it all coming. But don't, but don't want to spoil everything. No, no. There's some discussions there. Yeah, we can't say until it's all finalized. But I expect to be uh, quite involved in the Michigan 2022 football season. That's all I'm going to say right now. But uh Brother, anything else before we call it? Please beat Iowa tomorrow. Please. This is a huge game against Iowa. We were both seven and six in the Big Ten. We are jockeying for position. This is a big one at Iowa. And then uh, only one more away game, and that's at Wisconsin. Uh, other than that, we're finishing this season at home. Michigan basketball can still make the tournament, and uh, I would not want to be like a, a number four seed coming up like a 12-seed Michigan. I'd be I'd be worrisome. Yeah, to quote John Morant, we're coming up the chimney for all the smoke. Don't hide from it. We're throwing logs on the fire. And that's what we do here on Out of the Blue. That's going to do it for us. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever. Follow us on Twitter at Maze and Brew. You can follow me at JStorm303 or at UMAndyB. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.